Today on The Hot Dish is a great friend, uh, Mitch Landrew, former uh, Lieutenant Governor of Louisiana and former mayor of the great city of New Orleans. And any of you who have never been to New Orleans, that's your loss. The best food and the best fun in America. And so um, Mitch is, uh, has been a leader in so many areas. And I was so excited when the president tapped um, uh, Mitch Landrieu to become the czar of infrastructure, because I knew that Mitch is somebody who truly understands the value and the importance of an entire nationwide infrastructure plan. And he wasn't gonna let rural America be left behind. And so I, I invited Mitch to come on the hot dish to talk about what the administration is doing, what he's doing to make sure that the, the, um, uh, the infrastructure bill that passed, the bipartisan bill that passed is getting implemented very robustly in rural America. And so welcome uh, Mayor slash Lieutenant Governor uh, Landrew, and thank you so much for joining us. Senator, thank you for having me and thank you for everything that you did for our country and what you continue to do. And, and getting to know you has been one of the great joys of my life. And I know you've been a, a really strong advocate for really common sense um, legislation that impacts everybody in America and stands up every human being. And of course, you know, as you mentioned, I had the great joy of being the Lieutenant Governor of the state of Louisiana, which is A, a red state and B, a very rural state, even though I subsequently became mayor of New Orleans, which is, you know, in the nation's eye, a very urban area. Um, it, it occupies a, a unique relationship with rural America because um, one of the things I learned um, having represented the state and the city is how codependent they are on each other. I know politically we get stuck in this red versus blue, urban versus rural political divide, but everybody who lives in these areas know that that's really not the way it is in the way that folks who are on the ground that are living every day function. Everybody wants to be able to put food in their mouth, in their family's mouth, to be able to raise their kids, to have safe and secure environments, to have health care, to be able to grow their business, whether it's a restaurant in the city or it's whether, you know, in the rural lands and actually providing the food, you know, or, or, the, or the resources necessary for people in the cities to live. And, and I think President Biden sees that, you know, when he um, became president, he said, if you, if you give me the presidency, I'm going to use my power to lift everyday Americans up and I'm gonna bring the country together. And not only through the bipartisan infrastructure law, but the American Rescue Plan, if you think about it, um, the president has, has passed two of the largest pieces of legislation in the last 50 or 60 years. And he always says that our rural communities are the backbone of the nation. I mean, the rural communities feed America, they fuel America. You have a disproportionate number of people, by the way, as Secretary Vilsack reminds me, in rural America who serve in the military that provide our nation safety and security. Uh, and, and, and it's critical to, to the nation's agricultural and energy resources. So the president understands that. He also understands, and I completely agree, and I know that you do too, that rural America feels left behind and in fact has been left behind. Um, and, and, we have, and, and we have not done a, a great job across the aisle, by the way, all of us, uh, of making sure that rural America is, um, is what is, is treated how they are, which is an essential part of the future of the economy and the nation's national security. So if you think about it, um, one in five Americans are, are living in rural areas. Uh, it's a priority for the president. And he basically said, look, I want to make sure 
that this money that's coming out of Washington gets down to the ground where people live. So um, if, if, if you kind of just take a step back and you say, well, president, that's nice, you know, but what have you done for me? I know that talk is talk is cheap. If you think about it, just in, in the last year, we've created more jobs in rural America than any year uh, in many, many, many times. Nine million jobs have been created across the country in the last year and a half. Um, poverty in rural America was reduced by 70 percent. We've lowered the cost for health care, for rent, for energy, um, access to health insurance, which I know you worked on extensively, which is critically important. And then finally, in the bipartisan infrastructure law, you've got investments in roads and bridges and airports and ports and waterways. And when we talk bridges, everybody kind of starts thinking, well, the big bridges on the I-10. Most of these bridges that we're funding are all system bridges, the kind of bridges you see you know, in the rural parts of the community where somebody's trying to get the combine from one side of the road across a stream to the next side, that if you don't put that, you got to go five miles down the road. On high-speed internet, um, everybody knows that, that access to telemedicine is critically important, precision agriculture, critically important, which you can't have um, if you can't do business in rural America if you don't have access to that. Clean air and clean water, billions of dollars that are gonna be invested in cleaning up abandoned mine lands, orphan oil and gas wells that have been left behind, cleaning up the Great Lakes, conservation dollars, cleaning up our great parks and cleaning up the areas, particularly in rural areas where people have been sucking bad air and bad water with their families getting sick for a critically long period of time. And as we move into a new energy economy, the need to make sure that, that rural America is part of um, this transition of electrifying the economy um, at the end of the day, the president says, look, where rural America goes, the rest of the country goes, and I'm going to be there 100 percent of the way. And he's admonished me and our team and encouraged us to make sure that we do the things that are critically important so rural America can stand up. And as you and I were talking a little bit earlier, especially on the renewable fuel standards, um, you know, the president has been there the entire time to make sure that rural America doesn't get left behind and the subsidies that are necessary to allow our farmers to compete in, in a much more competitive market, especially now given the war uh, in the Ukraine and the challenges that we're having on food supply. So um, look, we're all in, as you know, I mentioned this to you that um, the cabinet secretaries basically crisscrossed the country. They went to 25 different states. Um, the president has been there many times. I've been there many times. We're gonna continue to do this and find ways uh, to turn communities around that have been left behind. So, I mean, I, one of the things that I'm so frustrated about, Mitch, is that the story is so amazing. I mean, just take the RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standard, which is critical for the, um, the economy in what you would call the I states and certainly states like mine that are growing more and more corn. But yet, you know, it's, he's the best president we've had in a generation for RFS for making sure that we're living up to the commitments of the federal law. He's the best president we've had for infrastructure. He's the best president we've had for rural healthcare. I mean, I can go down the line, but yet we somehow have not made the case to rural voters about the importance of electing people who understand. And to your point, I mean, I just wanna remind people, you might say, well, they don't trust Democrats. Guess what? When we did polling, they, the, the, we asked the question, do you trust, uh, do Democrats understand the challenges, the unique challenges of rural America? 
you know, it wasn't a very good number. I think it was over 60%. But when we asked them, do Republicans understand? 55% of them said they don't understand either. And so it's not just us. It's that we have this divide in the country, which is why we started one part, uh, one part, country project, but I'm curious from you, let's take this to how do we have that dialogue and talk about the great work that's being done in ways that people truly understand that this is not just a political commitment, but it's an emotional commitment. It's a necessary economic commitment to rural America that this administration is making. Well, I I would mention a couple of things. First of all, you know, you and I both have been in politics a long time and, um, you know, unfortunately, American citizens uh, don't really always identify as their first priority being a Republican or a Democrat. They're just regular folks. Now, sometimes they'll identify with a party or not, but basically American citizens trust in any kind of government to deliver for them is as low as it ever has been. And maybe justly so, because they, they've relied on, on uh, they've heard government say, I'm coming to help, um, and, and it never really shows up. So I think that it's incumbent upon those of us that are in the government to make sure that we basically prove to people, you know, that that we're going to be there. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this. Look, you and I have been knowing each other a long time uh, and I don't mince words. Uh, You know, I rebuilt the city of New Orleans with the help of a lot of people after Katrina. So I know what it's like to take something that's been completely destroyed and have to rebuild it. What I'm saying now to America is one thing that we always ask for is can we get the money? That problem has been solved with the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the president has directed that we get it down to the ground. Listen, just I've only been here eight months, but in the last eight months, we've pushed $110 billion out throughout the country. And people are beginning to see, um, Secretary Vilsack told me this the other day. He said, listen, it takes a long time because, you know, we are thinking about, you know, January 6th and the insurrection. And, you know, you have decisions that the Supreme Court has, has issued that are controversial. Then you have the war. Then you have inflation. Lots of people are worried about lots of stuff as they worry about just getting their kids back and forth to school and the church every day. So it's not like they completely focus on us. But at the end of the day, what they want to see, if Mitch says, hey, we got money for high speed Internet, they want to see people laying fiber optic cable. And no, by the way, just don't lay it down the middle of my street because my house is now 200 yards from it. How are you going to connect me from here to there? So we're working right now. The president says Internet for all. We're working with all 50 governors in all states to get plans on making sure that that especially rural America has access to high speed Internet. Then people say, well, I don't understand about this new energy thing that we have going on. Uh, These electric cars, is it going to be a a Ford F-150 that's going to be battery powered? You bet you, because GM and Ford and all of the manufacturers of the cars that people in rural America love to drive have now really kind of driven into this space. And they're in the middle of building plants in rural states that are going to provide thousands of jobs. And they're building these fantastically beautiful vehicles that are going to run on variety power things. People say, well, that's, that's great. Uh, maybe I'll get one of those, but where am I going to plug it in? We're actually working on that. We have 500,000 electrical vehicle charging stations that we have to put up there. On top of that, people say, this is basic stuff. Man, let me just, and, and, and Heidi, this is true more in rural America, but everywhere in the country. I have a right to have clean water. Right. You know, and we've had, we've got the energy industry that, that, that drilled, but they left a lot of garbage behind. A lot of coal companies that are not, you know, in operation, they left these things called abandoned mine lands behind that have dirtied the land, dirtied the soil, and made it impossible for people that live in rural America to have just a happy, healthy life. We've got to clean those up. 
We got brownfields. We have Superfund sites. We have, look, I'm from Louisiana. I know in other places, orphan oil and gas wells that are right next to somebody's house where the kids are trying to play ball or they're trying to fish. We have to clean those up too. And we're doing that. And, and if you can believe this, and people in rural America understand this, people in the cities can't get this quite in their head, that some places don't even have sewage systems that are appropriate. And so one of the things the president said to do is, Mitch, get into rural America and have a rural network where you go into these communities that have gotten hollowed out and try to figure out a way to make sure that folks get to the work that we need, especially in the black belt. And this is really at the end of the day, it's not even white or black anymore because everybody's living everywhere now. Make sure that you create good paying jobs and you help communities that have been left behind resuscitate. And then finally, I would just add to this. I can't stress enough how important high speed Internet is to grow in the economy in rural America. And unfortunately, it took COVID for us really to understand how critical it is that if you don't have it, you just can't participate in a growing economy. And because agriculture is so important, critically necessary, if you don't have the, that technology to use it and you can't engage in precision farming, and you don't have the incentives in the right place, you can't keep up. So we get that and that money is hitting the ground as we speak. We've have uh, 5,000 projects that are getting built in 3,200 communities across the country right now. And most of them are in rural America. I want to make this point because I think a lot of people think rural America, they think ag agriculture. And I, you and I both know from Louisiana and North Dakota, we're big energy producing states. A lot of right. our, a lot of our state and our rural counties are engaged in producing minerals, mining, uh, and extraction. Our, our uh, economies, rural economies are dependent on light manufacturing. And um, I want to talk a little bit about how important this infrastructure is, not just broadband, but roads and bridges and uh, water and clean air, how important those are to bringing that manufacturing industry back to rural America and bringing yeah. the population back. I mean, one of the challenges that we have is not just inflation, everybody's focused on inflation. We have a challenge in workforce. We've got to get more people into the workforce. We've got to make the workforce more diverse in, in our communities. If we're going to be successful, we're seeing rural America becoming more diverse. We, we, we aren't just about agriculture. And I just want to brag on the work that the Biden administration has done on, on uh, Buy America, Build Back American Manufacturing. But you can't do that if you can't get the product to market, if you don't yeah. have the infrastructure. And so talk about how important the rural infrastructure stuff is, not just quality of life, but actually building back the economy in areas that aren't just agriculture. Well, if you well, first of all, you make it you make an excellent point that rural America is not just agriculture. Um, it is true that in, for agriculture to succeed, it needs roads and bridges. Um, it needs uh, supply chains. We got to really the Corps of Engineers has got to be working on the waterways so we can get goods from ships to shelves, all of that stuff. But but because of the technology now, you actually don't have to go physically be away from the people that you love in order to make a great living. I mean, that's the that's the big issue. And once you have the technology in place, you absolutely knew you, you absolutely need the roads and the bridges, which is why of this bridge program, 15000 bridges um, that are off system bridges are going to get repaired. And those are mostly going to be in rural America. They're not going to be in urban America. On top of that, as you said, we, we are for better or for worse. I know people have different thoughts about this. I have strong feelings about it because I'm from a state that got beat to death by hurricanes and floods 
climate is a real challenge. It's an existential threat for us. And, and we have to get ahead of it. And we have to move into a new way of sourcing our energy um, and make sure that the transition is right while not leaving anybody behind. And it's the not leaving anybody behind that's really important. You know, other folks said, let's just do it and forget about those other guys. No, no, no. President said, we're not leaving anybody behind, but we do have to transition. We have to do both of them. And so one of the things, of course, that we need, if you think about it, I say, I'm going to electrify the economy. Are right, we going to fix the power grid, which, of course, cuts across all of rural America? We're going to lay down Internet. We're going to put these EV charging stations in. We're going to begin to manufacture products in America. So the president said, all this money I'm sending down to the ground, whatever y'all build it, you have to build stuff that's made in America because he wants to resuscitate manufacturing, which for the most part took place in rural America. And so now you see this working. Five major companies just in the last six months, GM, Ford, uh, Tritium, uh, Siemens have all said we're in and we're going to go build plants in Kentucky, right? In Alabama, in, in the Dakotas, you have all of this stuff going on where, you, where this market signal that the president sent by sending this money to the ground has incentivized the private sector to say, I'm going to go build these plants. Well, guess what those plants do? Those plants make things and they need people to make them. So they need the people, they need the people trained. Then they need, here's the thing that's really going to be incredible for rural America, they need what are called critical minerals. Yeah. So this is not hard to understand, but for a battery to run a car, you need things like copper. You need things like, you know, like lithium, which is the most important thing. We have to mine that now. So for those states that are resource rich in terms of critical minerals, it's like having gold in the ground. And you know what that produces. And so all of this stuff is going to start to converge. People are going to live where people they love are. They don't have to go work someplace and separate themselves from the family. Technology is going to give them the ability to work in rural Americas, to have a real connection. And then all these jobs hopefully will be created. And I'll end with this, of the, of, of the 9 million jobs that the president has helped create in the last 18 months, which, by the way, is the largest number of jobs of any president in our history in that amount of time in their first term. Almost 600,000 of them have been manufacturing jobs. So it's actually working. Yeah. And that's why that's why I think over time, Heidi, Rural America, if they ask, well, what has he done for me? The answer is going to be quite a lot. Um, and it's going to become more visible the more we talk about it and the more we actually have turned dirt and have stuff coming out of the ground. Well, I think I think part of this is not just the proof point of actually getting stuff done, but it's kind of the emotional connection. And um, that's why I thought it was so important that you were nominated because you and I both have an emotional connection, not just to your, in your case, the city that you love, but the entire state. And we've spent, you and I both spent a lot of time with oil rig workers, with, with people who work hard with their hands. They are, they are, they help build America and the ability to visit with them and say, this is not only how you can continue to make the quality living that you're making, but how your sons and daughters can live in your community and make those um, same that the, that same commitment to a good quality uh, life. And I think that in the past, we as Democrats have been accused of ignoring those concerns, ignoring kind of it's like, well, we don't really care about you because we only care about meeting the goals on climate. 
We can't meet the goals on climate. We can't have a sustainable climate policy until we bring the workforce along. And so I was, I mean, I've said this now three times, but you are the right guy for the right job to go to those communities and say, what does that look like for the next generation of workers in Williston, North Dakota, or in St. Charles, Louisiana, um, where I've spent a lot of time with you down there um, in the oil fields. Um, And so, you know, we're, we're people who believe that climate is real, but we also believe that um, a quality of life is absolutely critical to bringing the country back together right. for people. Well, let, let, me, let, let, me, uh, let me tell you a little story. Um, first of all, thank you for that. You, you're correct. Um, I, I, I travel through Appalachia, which is a region of the country that cuts through West Virginia and Kentucky. And I mean, it goes through a whole swath, but it's, it's, they see themselves as a region. The folks that live in different states, if you say where you're from, they don't necessarily say Kentucky or West Virginia. They'll say Appalachia because it's a history. It's a mindset. It's a it is it is a culture. And, and of course, you know that um, it is some oil and gas stuff, but it's coal. And I went I went to uh, I wanted to go visit folks. And I went to uh, I was in um, uh, West Virginia uh, on this particular day. And I met with a bunch of fellows that had worked the coal industry. And I thought that what I was going to hear was, we're Trump guys, uh, we're Republicans, we are, are we're coal guys, and we don't like anybody else. We don't like the Democrat. Well, I thought it was going to be a partisan political conversation. And I was <laughs> shocked and surprised and embarrassed, because I should have known better, that these guys were just regular guys. And they had politically identified because they were forced to, but essentially they were mad at everybody. They were mad at Republicans and Democrats. They didn't like President Trump. They didn't like President Obama. They didn't like anybody. And the reason was it was it it almost made me tear up listening to these guys. And this is the story that they told about six or eight of them. They had been working in the coal industry for about 30 years. And they said, you know, we're just ashamed, embarrassed and frustrated because the country told us that they needed us to go down to those dirty holes and suck that dirty air and pull that energy out of the ground so that we could fuel our military and save freedom for the rest of the world. And we did that. And now y'all are telling us that what we did was wrong, what we did was dirty, and that we're useless, and y'all are all discarding us. And we feel left behind. That's what they said. And they said, we don't like anybody because nobody really is taking care of us. Now, that's such a human response. For the oil and gas workers in Louisiana, they know that they're working in an industry that's challenging climate and causing the sea to rise, they're the ones that actually hunt and fish in the land that they're working on. So they're living in this duality, but they don't have another choice. And I don't know about your politics, but in my politics, for the 30 years that I've been involved, if you ask a mother or father to choose between sucking dirty air or feeding their kids, they're going to feed their kids. And so it takes me to a place of saying, look, if we're going to go someplace new, nobody gets left behind. Everybody has to be brought along. And that means you have to transition. Now, you have to do it intentionally. You have to do it thoughtfully. But you don't leave those folks behind. You don't you don't screw them on their pensions. You don't screw them on their health care. You don't tell them we don't care about where you live. You have to go back and repair the damage that was done and then create a bridge to the future. And that's what the president is doing, because he always talks about the dignity of work. And I can assure you, because he talks about even though he grew up you know, in, in the Delaware area and in Pennsylvania, he always talks about his daddy, who was a working class dude, you know, and he talks about the dignity of work and the need to be able to support your family. And that's what most Americans want. 
and and they they and they're not married to any one particular way, but they think life should be fair. They think you should get paid a fair wage for the work that you do. They shouldn't have to suffer from health care concerns that they caused when they were helping build America. And they want everybody to pay their fair share. They want everybody to take responsibility, but they think they ought to have opportunity too. And the president knows that and sees that and understands that we are one country and we cannot survive if rural America and everybody else are not working together. Yeah, and Mitch, you know, that's why we called our project, not the Rural America Project. We called it the one country because people say, why did you do that? It's about rural America. I said, no, it's about American desires and wishes. And when we divide, you know, what a cab driver in New York wants is almost identical to what that oil rig worker wants. They want a decent living. They want an opportunity for the kids to do better than what they did. They want good quality education, healthcare. I mean, it is universal what Americans want. Now, whether they see that that the uh, resources of America equally divided, that's a or applied equally, that's a whole different issue. And so, I want to I want to mention something about pensions because I work very, very hard. And, you know, we don't have a lot of United Mine Workers in North Dakota. We have mine workers, but they aren't unionized. And so I spent a lot of time with the pensioners from the United Mine Workers, along with my pensioners from uh, multi-state pension challenges. You know, they, they formed a great coalition. Guess who got it done? Joe Biden got it done. He secured their future and their pensions. If there ever was one illustration of how this administration really understands working people, look at the pension reform that Sherrod Brown led in the how in the Senate. I'm proud to say he just called me saying, I'm, I'm here doing an event with the president. I thought of you right away because very seldom am I to the left of Sherrod Brown, but on pensions, <laughs> I was. Because these are these are my people. These are the, the, the situation was so unfair. So if you're looking for that one illustration where this president emotionally understood what that is like for a family who now the husband has maybe got two knee replacements from lifting packages that were too heavy when he was delivering. And now he's secured his pension because people in the United States Senate and Joe Biden insisted that it get done. Well, Heidi, listen, uh, you know, back to the coal miners that I talked to, these guys said, look, uh, I've ripped four vertebrae in my neck and my back. I've had three soldier surgeries and now nobody wants to fund my pension. So not only are you going to take my livelihood away from me, you're going to basically say I'm on my own. That's not fair. That's not the American way. And so if you think about it, you know, we say, oh, a tax cut for the rich or a pension for the workers. Just think about the value judgment behind those two things. Right when y'all started working on this pension stuff, everybody said, oh, it's too expensive to buy those guys out to give them pensions. Not the least of which was that people took it from them what was owed them. But instead, we, 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 we passed a tax cut for those of us that are wealthy enough to be in the 1% and gave out $1.8 trillion. All right. So then if, you, if you're a regular guy and, and you're a guy that just came out of the hole and your lungs are black with coal and you say, well, wait a minute, you said you can't afford my pension. If you add up all the money that y'all want to give us in pension, that's a whole lot less yeah. than you gave. So is the value for the guys who are just making what they call mailbox money or is the value in sustaining the lives of American citizens who actually did the hard work. Joe Biden said, I wanted the people who were the guys who guys and gals who are getting their hands dirty, who need it the most. That's the, that's the big difference. We get stuck in all the language, but it's like, do you see me? Do you understand me? Are you going to use your power to help me? 
he's been there like in a big way. And if somebody starts to do a comparison, it's quite frankly, when you run the tape, it's not even really close. No, I mean, honestly, it's not even close. I mean, one person was a big yapper and the other person's a big doer. Exactly. But, but, But to your point, though, we have an obligation to tell this story and to be present and to show up and listen. I get that people don't trust. There's a lot of bloviating, a lot of uh, that's a that's a nice word for for, you know, selling you a whole bucket of hooey over the over the years from people. And we we have an obligation to to prove to people that we mean what we say and we're going to show up and we're trying to do that every day. Well, and that's why I think the work that you're doing and and why it was so important to have you on. Um, Where could people get more information about what the administration is? How can they find out, you know, let you know this is what we need in our community? Right. They do the outreach that that um, I know you're doing on behalf of the president, the administration and really the bipartisan uh, senators and House members who passed this bill. Well, that's an excellent question. And we anticipated that we actually have created a, a, a book that you can go to that has every program in the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And then we did a specific one for rural America. So if you go to build.gov, B-U-I-L-D.gov, and then you go to rural.gov, you will see every program in the book that's set aside for rural America on the roads, the bridges, the airports, the ports, the waterways. It has links to all the different departments and ways that you can access what it is that we need. And of course, every one of the cabinet secretaries every day is traveling across rural America, talking about the benefits of the things that I that I had you know talked about before. Um, and at the end of the day, you know the president sees, understands, knows, and is delivering. And you know we're going to just keep telling the story and hope that folks in rural America can feel it, um, because this is not about politics for the president. This is the reason he's been in office, and uh, you know he's walking the walk. No question. I, I mean, I think I think it is so critical, especially for those people who are challenged every day by their neighbors to say, well, what, what is he doing for me? Gas prices are X, W, you know? And so I think this is a resource for you to step back and say, look, you know, we've got a, we've got a supply demand challenge as it relates to current energy. We're in transition, but Joe Biden did not create high energy prices wow. to debate anyone. I've been debating on the national stage, this whole issue. I am so tired of people who think that, you know, uh, this is being driven by the current well, administration. I don't think, look, folks, 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 Americans are smart and they have a lot of common sense. Um, everybody knows that the president can't sit behind the desk in the Oval Office and turn the dial and just on his own, you know, lower inflation or other things. There are lots of things going on. One, people know that COVID has beaten us all, you know, back as far as we can and, and killed so many of our, of our, you know, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And that has caused supply chains to get basically cramped because people that have made stuff that we buy have to quit making it because they're not going to work, which is one of the reasons why the president wants to start making more stuff here so we can be independent. The second thing that happened, and they understand this, is that Putin from Russia has decided that he was going to upend the entire world and invade Ukraine. Now, the two things that they may not know is that Russia provides a lot of oil and gas. And when we got in a fight with Russia, Russia stopped with that supply. Also, they may not know that Russia and the Ukraine produce a lot of wheat. So all of a sudden now, if you don't have as much of those things coming, and basically the oil companies are not really planned fair at the moment, the price of gas goes up. Now, right now, as, as, we're, giving, as, as we're doing this 
conference on the 15th of July at 313. For the last 30 days, gas has actually gone down substantially because the president got after everybody and said, I don't understand what's going on. When the price of the barrel of oil goes down, how come gas prices don't go down? Oil companies, what are we, what are we doing here? You know, what, what really is causing that? And so the president really used his power to do that. He also said, look, I want to ease the burden on American citizens, folks in rural America. So Congress, go back to work and give me some relief on prescription drugs. Why are we paying four times the amount that you would pay in Canada or in Great Britain for the same kind of drug? Why is somebody paying that, you know, through their teeth for insulin for their children when we're the ones that help, you know, and so he's been working with that on child care. You know, you talked about the workforce, which, by the way, the country's just getting more diverse. It doesn't mean that we're getting more left or more right. It just means that we're getting more diverse. And if you want to find a workforce that you need, you have to reach out to people that have not traditionally been in doing things. And that is women. And if women, you want women to go to work, the number one say that women say, and this is true, whether they're CEOs, mid-level managers, or they're actually calipering steel or being welders, they say, I need childcare and I need transportation. That's why childcare and transportation are infrastructure because you can't build a bridge without employees and you can't have employees without moving women into the workforce, um, as well as people of color and other folks that are helping diversify the economy. And so all of those things the president understands, sees and knows, and is, is, is really admonishing me and my team to lean forward and making sure that we get done. Well, I, developing workforce is absolutely critical, doing a lot of discussion about not just daycare, but about paid family leave. So there you go. And yeah. So so and when people say, oh, that build back better, that was just a boondoggle. That was the kind of if you can kind of equate it to the soft power that was necessary. One of the greatest challenges and people say, well, what about inflation? What about this? I said, look, you need to look at worse for workforce participation. If we're going to continue to grow this economy, we've got to get more people back into the workforce. And so um, they, these opportunities that you're offering in construction trades, I know some people are working to train women in construction trades. I think there's incredible opportunity in rural America for women to go to work, building roads, building bridges, um, driving heavy equipment. It's work that I did when I was in college. Well, look, let me say this about women power. Women ought to be able to work wherever they want. They ought not be excluded because they're women, A, and you say, well, they're not being excluded just because they're women. You say, well, I understand that. But if you ask people, some of whom happen to be women, what the barriers are for them getting to work and you reduce those barriers, their chances get much better. So what are the barriers? The barriers are transportation, paid family leave, childcare. And if, the, if Congress would work and lower those costs, inflation would still be higher, but people would have more money in their pocket. So when the president says, look, I'm the president and the buck stops at my desk, but this is not a dictatorship. He's not the only one in this fight. And the president has been getting on Congress to pass stuff like prescription drugs and paid family leave and child care and subsidies for electrical vehicles that will lower people's costs. The other thing I'd point out to you is this, Heidi, on the inflation fight. Um, inflation is a global problem. If someone who's smart goes on the Internet and says, what are the rates of inflation in other countries? You're going to find out that America is better positioned financially to deal with this than any other country, because we, we have a 3.5% unemployment rate, the lowest in a long time. People have more money in their pockets than they've had in a long time. We've created 9 million jobs. That doesn't make inflation any less difficult for everybody. The president understands that, but we are in a good position because of what the president has done 
to weather this storm in a better way than any other country right now in the world. But how how you know the future of our country depends on economic growth. In my opinion, the single greatest factor in economic growth is workforce participation, yes. getting people back into the workplace, getting entrepreneurs able to hire people so that they can be creative and innovative. And we can't do that quite honestly, without diversifying the workforce. And so um, that's a lesson rural America could learn a little bit better. We're not going back to the 50s if we want to grow our economy. And so, um, Mitch, thank you so much for coming on. And and honest, I, I know you were incredibly busy. And when the president put that call in, um, you answered the call of your, your president and your country and your state, and I am so grateful. I, I just think the world of the work you're doing, I'm so grateful the president put you in this position, and I look forward to directing people to the great work that you're doing and that the administration is doing in rural development. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for that. I was honored to receive the call, and I'm happy to do my duty. It's, it, it's a great privilege, and I'm looking forward to making tracks. Well, you had to come because I know where you live. <laughs>